And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, what a <laughs> what a great day. Uh, a, a great day for Russia. A great day for Russia. <laughs> well, we are talking about Omega Red today. Uh, a, uh, a classic 90s X-Men villain if there ever was one, right? I like to think of him as the 90s X-Men villain. Oh, sure. Yeah, he's 100% a uh, Jim Lee sketchbook delight that I I don't think anyone really knows what to do with this character most times. <laughs> but uh, he's a trip. He was a, he was a hot new character when the X-Men were the hottest and the newest they have ever been. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it means that he's... He will never leave us. Unlike, uh, it is weird that he's the one that stick, sticks around if you think about it for a little bit. Because it's not like people are clamoring for sci- cyber or anything like that. But Omega Red, <laughs> Omega Red has an ongoing story arc in the Krakoa era where he becomes a vampire, very literally. Mm-hmm. And not in the sense that he is he is just a vampire, right? Like that's his powers is to be a vampire? Yeah, he sucks the life out of people. Um, is it not always with his tentacles? I feel like his powers are kind of ill-explained. Well, he's got... You know how Wolverine has a mutant healing factor? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, Omega Red has a mutant death factor. <laughs> uh, he's got, like, death spores that come out of him right. and kill you. And, again, mostly he has tentacles and a uh, ponytail, which, in one of the stories, which is... We're talking about the first Omega Red story. Sorry to spoil it for you. Does immediately get uh, jokes made about how all of the Jim Lee villains have ponytails, which I think is very funny since we are (laughs) just a few issues into the Jim Lee world. Well, we're only a few issues away from him leaving, too. Uh, Well, yes. So, yeah, let's let's jump into it. This is the uh, the first appearance of Omega Red in. X-Men volume two, four to what? Seven? Seven. Yeah. Four to so seven. this is the second arc of uh, what? There's there's four arcs of Jim Lee's uh, X-Men volume two. Yeah, this is this is the second one. And this was requested to us uh, from Patreon supporter Bill is reading. Bill went over to patreon.com slash comics XF, reached deep down into his heart and his pocketbook. And toss a couple of coins into our coffers uh, so that we would talk about uh, Arcady. If you want to be like uh, Bill is reading and, you know, read with your eyes and listen with your ears to this podcast, uh, you can do the same. Uh, Or if you want to listen to some of the other great podcasts and read some of the other great content that is on Comics XF, you can go do that. And this uh, this money directly supports everyone who does that. So thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Um, I just want to start by saying that I think this might be like the most 90s Jim Lee X-Men sort of animated series slash comic thing that 
was ever published. It's just like so dead on the nose that like this is what people remember of this era is like this. I don't want to say it's the best one because... Oh, no, there's definitely <laughs> some things that aren't great about it, but... Yeah, there's there's the part where Chris Claremont in the first one told a coherent story. Uh, <laughs> but this is pure, unadulterated 90s. It's a absolutely wild story that starts off with what I think is the iconic scene of Jim Lee's entire career. Like, yes. this is this is the Jim Lee scene. Um <laughs> We're talking about the same scene, right, Adam? You're talking about the basketball scene. I'm talking about the scene where the X Men they don't play they don't play softball anymore. They play basketball <laughs> in short shorts. Well, and it's so funny because like it so places this in its era, right? Because you know this is when the Bulls were red hot. Everybody's into basketball, so they don't play baseball. It's Gambit and Jubilee versus Rogue and Wolverine on the basketball court, and it's Gambit just like. Swish, swish, swish. It is such a fun scene. Jubilee's like, ah, Wolverine, I don't know why you even came out here. And he just, just whoosh, <laughs> right right behind it. Adam, Adam, do you know how much I love this scene? How much do you love this scene, Zach? I love this scene so much that uh, when I, well, he's been on here, so I'll give him a call. I'm a friend of the show. Kyle Starks was doing his Kickstarter for his Basketball Dracula comic. Uh, mm. Old head. Yes. Uh, one of the commission tiers or one of the tiers of support was you will get a sketch uh, drawn by uh, Kyle of any basketball player. <laughs> Real or fictional. So you requested Gambit? No, I did request Wolverine, though, in short shorts. Uh, oh, my God. Basketball. That's adorable. That's really it, great. It's a fantastic. <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my favorites. I have a I have two Kyle Starks uh, commissions. Uh, that sit in my office. One is of Wolverine doing a basketball jump. Uh, and one of them is a Pogger Pog, which is also oh, nice. my... Yeah, I've seen that one. That one is also my tablet lock screen. Uh, so That's I great. look at that picture frequently. <laughs> well, we should comment on the creative side here because Claremont did, you know, has left at this point. Jim Lee is steering this ship. Um but it's also, like we mentioned before when we covered the uh, Mojo arc that he leaves on, he kind of has like half a, half a foot out the door. Like you can kind of tell by the time we get to the end of this and there's an army of anchors on this, uh, this arc that maybe he's not able to keep up with the pace or maybe, you know, it's like. But we also have John Byrne scripting the first issue. And then we also get our first appearance of uh Scott Lobdell doing uh, doing some scripting here on this book, right? Yeah, so story-wise, this book is an absolute wreck. <laughs> it is a it is a mess, this book, because if you haven't read it, and this is one of the most read X-Men stories of all time, so if you haven't read it, I don't know what to tell you. But this is a story where Wolverine gets captured by Omega Red and the Upstarts. Uh, you know the upstarts, don't you, Adam? Yeah, uh, they are playing for. I, it's hinted that I guess they're going to win, like immortality, or I don't know. But it, it uh, we have Shinobi Shaw, uh, who has recently killed his father in Uncanny, and then uh, we're also joined by Fenris, who Fenris uh, nobody is in likes. this one. Yeah, they are the they are the Nazis, and 
Actually, Shinobi's not in this one. He comes in just a little bit later on this. You may be oh, thinking you're right. Of, it's you may Matsuo. Be Matsuo Teriyaba? Yeah, because they look exactly. I forgot. You're right. It is Matsuo. Listen, listen. Jim Lee, Jim Lee has a specific style. <laughs> and that is ponytails and, and Wolverine hair. And Wolverine hair and nice suits for <laughs> nice suits for the men villains. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, right, you were that's saying just what he does. Oh, I was saying this story is an absolute train wreck. <laughs> like, because Wolverine gets captured, and then yep. the X-Men go to rescue him, yep. and then Sabretooth shows up, and also Maverick gets introduced in this. Maverick's yep. trying to rescue Wolverine. Uh, because Sabretooth, of course, uh, as we as we all know, what Sabretooth really wants is the uh carbonanium uh synthesizer. That will stop him from being in internal eternal pain because uh That's what you know, Omega Red wants. Yes, that's what Omega Red wants, excuse me. Yes. Uh because Omega Red doesn't have adamantium, he has uh Russian adamantium, which is uh carbonanium. Yeah, it's got radiation in it, right? Yeah, it it's adamantium, but it's a super heavy metal, so yep. it'll kill him. It's killing him, so he has to eat people's <laughs> energy to survive. Luckily, he was already a serial killer, so he's not that worried about it. No, he does not care. Um, and all of this is punctuated with uh, these. We, we're this is the one of the first times we're also seeing it in the Wolverine solo book, but we're starting to see these flashbacks into Wolverine's past. This is so interesting to me, just from a timing standpoint. I guess. Yeah. I had known about all of these stories individually, but because I wasn't reading them as they came out, I did not realize that you get Weapon X. Mm -hmm. Then the next month, you get that Wolverine 50, that really good Shiva scenario arc Mm -hmm. where you Mm -hmm. learn about his memories. And then right after that, you get this story about Maverick and Sabretooth and Wolverine and how they used to be mission or like weapon X agents and how they went to Berlin to get the carbonanium synthesizer and Sabretooth did a murder and Wolverine hid the carbonanium synthesizer in her grave. And it's a whole, it's a whole thing (laughs) and it's absolutely nonsensical, but there is a vibrant feeling of energy in all of this there's a lot happening and none of it's really well directed into any one specific way but it's very exciting yeah it's 100 driven by jim lee's art um because not only do you get those intermittent scenes but you're also getting the long shot uh dazzler stuff that's gonna lead up to that final arc interrupting the story too so it does feel like every couple of pages you're you're getting a you know a switch into something else so you know, Sabretooth's attacking. Oh, wait, Sabretooth's controlled by Psylocke, you know? And it's like, well, how much of this is part of a scripted story? How much of this is coming through sort of a, almost a traditional, the Marvel way of uh, of getting this book out? And I almost, I, with, the, with the changeover between Byrne, who has stated that he left because uh, Jim Lee and Wills Portacio could not get their scripts in on time and they kept changing things of what they discussed because they wanted to draw something else that they thought was cooler. And Byrne, who is a lot of things, uh, but above all else, he is a cog at the Marvel machine. Oh, sure. Uh, He's going to get his stuff in on time. Yeah, he did not appreciate that. So he he booked it. Uh, And Scott Lobdell, who is 
just about as much of a cog in the Marvel machine, but somehow even more willing to bend over backwards for Bob Harris than uh, anyone else in the world. Uh, Scott jumps in and tries to do the best out of it. By the end of these four issues, it's just a mess. But that first one is a lot of fun. Yeah, by the time you get to issue seven, the um, the credits are Jim Lee plot and breakdowns. So he's not even credited with doing full pencils. Uh, uh, unfortunately, comic skater Art T. Bear is doing uh, finishes, Scott Lobdell dialogue. Um, it's really just like, let's get this book out on on time um, if, if we if we can. And, <laughs> you know, Joe Rosas throughout this is making like really weird coloring mistakes um, that are, you know, Joe Rosas is a professional. He's trying to get their number one book out. That's right. That's right. Um, But to your point, it is really wild that weapon X did come out almost right before this. And yet we're seeing Dr. Cornelius as part of this story. Yeah. Cornelius is in this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I like that they are, they are not revealing all of the cards of what Wolverine's backstory is, but they are adding that element in the early nineties where it wasn't there before. He was just a guy and right. he had a past that you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And once he fought in world war two, but even that, even the, the fact that he was old enough to be back in world war two, that was new. That mm-hmm. was like 1989, 1990. Right. Yeah. These are all, you know, we think of these things as kind of going back forever, but they all really did uh, start right around this time period that we started. There's a reason Wolverine's the hottest thing because mm-hmm. they introduced so many like cool elements to Wolverine right around this time. It was this and Cable, man. If you were 10, 11 years old like I was, this was like candy. You wanted to know. And uh, what, what I've learned over the years is that I actually did not want to know because uh, it was so much more fun getting these random puzzle pieces than having like a fully fleshed out. I've talked about this when we talked about Wolfram and Origin. I, but I do think like, I do think that early nineties of giving just enough to know that there is a story there. Wolverine doesn't have a boring past. Like right. it's, it's not that he's just there. It's there is a deep mythology to Wolverine that you don't know about. Right. And you could know about it. And though, <laughs> It doesn't it doesn't work when they lay it all out. It is what it is now, mm-hmm. but it is a loose his actual origin is at least a loose enough origin that you can have Wolverine do whatever you want. Yeah, he can just do whatever as long as it is when cars existed. Wolverine <laughs> can do whatever. There's, the one the weird history thing of that, photography. <laughs> the one weird thing in this arc that throws me off. Is that Psylocke also gets mind controlled again, but she was just mind controlled in X-Men number three. So three issues later, she gets mind controlled again. And I don't, I think that's a weird choice. It is. She's doing some controlling. She's being controlled. And again, I think this is a symptom of just, hey, it looks cool on the page, but we have to make this make some kind of sense um, in terms of the story. The same thing goes for the the carbonadium synthesizer, um, which was buried in a grave, but then no, it appears at some point in the story in a cylinder that Wolverine is holding and then escapes with, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, the, the story ends with Wolverine popping out of the grave and going, ha ha, I got here first. So 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mess, but it is, uh, for, you know, lack of a better description, it's just really enjoyable. It's very readable, even if it's like sort of a confusing mess. It is a beautiful, confusing mess. I do have to ask, do you like Maverick or is he the part of this that doesn't work? Maverick is a really fun Jim Lee, like secret agent design. I've never quite understood Maverick as like a character to be enjoyed. I think my favorite Maverick story legitimately is the uh, recent Ben Percy, Andy Kubert Maverick story. Yeah. uh, In that Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Though my favorite Maverick fun fact, Adam, I'm going to ask you if you know this. Do you know which X-Men movie uh, Maverick was in? Oh, he's in um, he's in uh, Wolverine Origins, isn't he? He is in Wolverine Origins. He is the secret Weapon X agent that Wolverine uh, Wolverine shoots his motorcycle into the helicopter of. Right. <laughs> Great scene. Do you know who else is in that movie? Uh, well, um, hold on. Uh, Will I Am is in there, and who does he play? Will I Am plays uh, John Wraith, who's a, oh, okay. another Weapon X guy, very minor. Yeah. You get um, the uh, you get the gambit, um, gambit, which is kind of a fun thing. That's the uh, Tim. What the heck is that guy's name? Oh, people are going to be listening, getting so angry at me right now. It's the guy from Just. I'm getting angry at you right now. <laughs> Who is it? What's his name? You're, Timothy. You're, you're, are you thinking of the Friday Night Lights character no. Tim Riggins? No. Because that's. No. Because that's who Taylor Kish portrayed in Friday Night Lights. No, no, and he no. He also it's, portrayed uh, Gambit. Taylor was... Kish was Gambit. I cannot emphasize this enough. Wait, why did I think Timothy Oliphant was was Gambit? I don't know. Uh, oh, he was rumored to play Gambit. Okay. No, it's Taylor Kish. All right, forget uh, it. Forget I said that. He played he played Gambit. Uh, Blob is in there in just a bad scene. Uh, but who you may not remember. Uh, the character Bolt is in this from that one X-Men Unlimited story where he's the kid who gets the legacy virus. Yes. You know that Bolt is Maverick's son, right? Oh, really? I did not know that. That's a <laughs> yeah. weird That's a weird yeah. one. That's Bolt a deep is cut. Maverick's secret son. Also, he's the second Maverick. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of Taylor Kish. He does look like Timothy Oliphant. So I'm going to. Timothy gonna... Oliphant's like 20 years older than him. I know, I know, but I'm going to give myself at least a little bit of brain uh, credit here and, and say, okay, anyway, we should probably rank this. Um, yeah. Because we got a lot to talk about this episode, actually. Oh, my God. The next. The, yeah, we got. Yeah, we got stuff to talk about. Um, so what is this list of ours? Oh, we have a big old list where we have ranked every X-Men story that's ever existed from best to worst. Uh, the number one story on our list is the House of X Powers of 10. Uh, the number 100 story on our list is X-Force 19 through 24, Assault on Grey Malkin. Uh, 200 on our list is Mr. and Mrs. X, Love and Marriage. 300 on our list is Spider-Man and the X-Men uh, 4 and 5, the Venom Brood uh, arc. Uh, number 400 on this list is Operation Zero Tolerance from X-Men 65 to 60 Nice. Uh, and number 500 on this list is Captain Marvel 2 and 3. That's the stuff about Adam X, the X-Stream. <laughs> uh, and then the 570th story on our list is the Draco. 
Um, I feel like nostalgia may be clouding my opinion of this story, but I do really, really love uh, issue four, just as I really love issue eight um, with the the boysenberry pie bishop stuff. Um, But I think this is better than the first arc of Wolverine and the X-Men at 177. Am I being crazy high here? So here's what I'm thinking. I know it's better than Jim Lee's Mojo arc at yes. uh, 390. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you think it's better than 246 X-Men Ghost Rider Brood Trouble in the Big Easy? I I think it is. Um, I kind of do, too. I think it is. I think this is I think we talked about that one as also being kind of like the quintessential animated series thing. But this really feels like it is a touchstone of the era. You know, it does. There are there are stories as a full story that I like more than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have the uh, the Shi'ar Savage Land stuff. Uh, One sixty four. At 164, I, I don't think this is up to that. I think it's that's... not. That is that is a better story. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm tr- I'm looking down this. Uh, this is this is not better than 171 Astonishing Tales Mojo World by Jonathan Hickman. Yeah, I I think that's taking more risks. Um, I don't think this is better than New X Men: The Quest for Magic. Oh, really? See, I would put it ahead of that, and I would put it ahead of what's above that, which is Necrotia um that's the destiny stuff in necrotia though yeah it reads better than you think it does i yeah i I don't i think it's probably on par with uh 172 which is the second web of spider-man annual which is like the warlock nascenti story let's put it right above that but below astonishing tales mojo world that's a good place for it yeah that's that's a fun story here's the thing folks astonishing tales mojo world is a coherent story (laughs) this lacks that yeah looks great uh start strong a little bit like weird as you go on uh speaking of wonky and weird uh what is this series we're talking about next which i had never read an issue of yeah we're gonna talk about wolverine origins not the Uh, mini though right this is an ongoing series called origin oh oh right that was origin okay so this is wolverine origins yes this is which is, again, separate from X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. We wouldn't want to get those confused. No. <laughs> but it's not dissimilar to it. Uh, this is the 2009 arc Romulus. Uh, issues Ooh. 37 through 40. This is the return of Omega Red and his death. Uh, <laughs> Adam, what do you know about Romulus? Uh, Romulus is a guy who behind the scenes like controlled Wolverine's life for a long time. It was like a big retcon, right? He's like, yeah, he manipulated almost every event in Wolverine's life so that Wolverine would bear a child who would become, become the head of the Lupa sapiens, uh, the, the wolf people again, cannot emphasize enough Jeff Loeb that Wolverines and wolves are not the same things. Taking uh, that aside, yeah, very much. This whole thing is predicated on the fact that there's like a lot of weird cat and wolf mutants, mm-hmm. because like feral and cat's eye and uh, wolfsbane and wild child and all that. And the problem with all that is the fact that one, all of those are different animals, <laughs> right? <laughs> and two, this arc specifically says, yeah, all the wolverines, like wild child and cyber. 
and Lady Deathstrike and uh, Omega Red. And at a certain point, I have to say, no, those are just Wolverine's villains. Those are just the people Wolverine fights. Those They are not connected in any material way, except for they are all in the same kinds of stories. What are you talking about? Daniel Way, who writes this. Scott Eaton does the art here. I do want to say, because we're going to, folks, we're going to, I, I don't know about Adam. I don't know about Adam. I'm going to tear into this one. <laughs> well, this is not very good. Um, it's not. I want. I want to say Scott Eaton does a pretty good job on the art here. Scott. Sure. S- Scott Eaton has nothing to complain about in this series. He's doing. He's doing his. He's doing his best. He's doing pretty solid work on this. Like I've got no complaints. Here's what I will say. I want to go back to my previous point about Omega Red. Jim Lee, one of the only people that can draw Omega Red. Like, is Omega Scott Red. Eaton trying very hard to draw Omega Red? Yes. it just doesn't work you know what i mean like he's gotta have the sort of like portachio cyber tech stuff all over him and like this is just a very clean version of this character that i don't anyway he's in like a russian prison he's feeding off of people but he needs the the synthesizer again we're back to the sea synth because that plot never gets resolved, Adam. <laughs> no. That plot had not been resolved since Jim Lee introduced it. So this is the resolution to it. Yeah. Um, so so much so that the second issue of this is a cover homage to uh, number, what, six, I think? Yeah, it or rules. Yeah. That's, it, that's a Doug Braithwaite cover. It also <laughs> rules. So Omega Red, Wolverine, fight in a prison. Uh, Omega Red's got the sea synth back. I love that they nickname it the sea synth in this arc. And uh, Wolverine has to take Omega Red out by dropping a like a, a fence on him, I guess. Yeah, Wolverine pretty much slows down Omega Red because he drops a he drops like a prison grate on him and like stabs him into the ground and says, look, you'll probably get out of here. <laughs> um, but this gives me a head start to find what's going on. And it doesn't matter because Wild Child uh, gets a hold of him instead. Adam, you remember how Wild Child was possessed, or not possessed, but just working for, uh, working for Romulus? Uh, you remember that, right? I-, I guess. I mean, that's what's indicated here. I-, I have no idea how Wild Child, on his own, overtook Wolverine and then got him like strung up above a boiling hot bowl of acid or lava or something. Oh man! But I can't believe we are not talking about Jeff Loeb's uh, Wolverine story that introduces Romulus, which is it's Jeff Loeb and Simon Bianchi Bianchi, and it is just a buck wild. <laughs> so much of this is, but this is the first time we see Romulus, right? He's been this hidden. is this is the first time we see Romulus. Who here's what Romulus is? He's a weird old dude who's big and has strapped five Wolverine claws <laughs> to both of his hands. He's a he's a Wolverine cosplayer who's gone wild. <laughs> well, it, that's it's an interesting thing, and I'm not sure how much of that was the original idea for Romulus. If Jeff Loeb uh, had the kind of Marvel '90s idea of what if there was this weird guy who was controlling Wolverine and didn't think any more about it. <laughs> And then Daniel Way is like, okay, well, I'm Daniel Way. I'm not great at writing comic books, but this is bad. Like, that's kind of dumb. What if this guy just really wanted to be a Wolverine but couldn't? Yeah. Um, and that's 
it is better that Romulus is pretending like that makes him a more interesting character than if he's just this mastermind who possessed everything and ran everything and controlled everything. But he's so dumb. He's really dumb. He does look just that Romulus design is not a good one, folks. (laughs) We also got the Muramasa blade here or what's left of it, right? Oh, Uh, yeah, because the Muramasa blade was shattered. mm -hmm. uh, And eventually, I I forget in which arc, it may have been the arc right before this, a part of the Muramasa blade, uh, that is the blade that uh, the, the great swordsman Muramasa did take part of all the evil in Wolverine's soul and pull it out and made a sword out of it. And that right. sword can kill anyone with a healing factor because of plot reasons. <laughs> um, and then, and then the tip, uh, the top half of the Muramasa blade got cracked and broken and was taken by Dakin. Uh, and it was then melted down and coated the bottom claws for Dakin and only the bottom claws on each hand. And then didn't they make some bullets out of it at some point? Later, later they later, make Muramasa right? bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it with Wolverine, the parts from Dakin's claws. Yeah, so Wolverine does fight uh, Romulus here, knocks off one of his fake claw gloves, and uh, Romulus still manages to throw the Muramasa blade hilt first to knock Wolverine out, which seems very unlikely. (laughs) Um, I don't really understand how that would have knocked Wolverine out, but, uh, you know, Romulus is basically like, you're a wolf, I'm out of (laughs) here. Just leaves. That is what happens along the way. Wild Child does get dropped into a pot of vo- a pot of boiling metal, and mm-hmm. Omega Red gets stabbed with the uh, Muramasa blade and dies. Yeah. So uh, so much for Omega Red. Uh, he has not lasted very long here. But he's uh, just a guy to fight in this. And <laughs> frankly, unless you're going to give him a tiger, that's about the extent of the Omega Red content I want. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot people can do with him, uh, at least at that point. So he's got not. There's nothing to him. I'm sorry. He he's a cool Jim Lee sketch. Right, right. So that's it. And uh, like I said, if he's not being drawn like really cool, I'm not super invested. So there's not a lot going on here in this arc. I didn't like this very much, and it doesn't inspire me to read the rest of it. Though I guess I should if I want to learn about Dakin. What you got to do is you've got to read this and Wolverine volume three consecutively as they are coming out. Ah. Because I cannot emphasize enough. Some of the most buck wild X-Men stuff happens in those two (laughs) books and no one talks about it. Yeah. People because because X-Men fans love to talk about stuff. X-Men fans kind of hate Wolverine, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, very funny. Adam, you and I have had this discussion. We have. Yes. The stuff that becomes canonical about Wolverine in these <laughs> stories that are by, it's not just by one creative team. It's like Daniel Way. It's it's Mark Guggenheim. It's Jeff Loeb. It's a lot of dudes. You know, okay, I'm just going to, this isn't in this story. This is in X-Men, uh, or this is in Wolverine. Yeah, you know how Wolverine has a healing factor and that uh, he can come back from the dead? Yeah, 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 yeah. From like a drop of blood, right? Yeah. Did you know that every time that he comes back from die from something that would kill him, he actually has to fight the very real angel of death in the dreamscape uh, and fight for his life? I think I did know that. Yeah, there's like a weird kind of got to get back battle. 
Yeah, right? very literally. Uh, did you also know that at one point his Atlantean girlfriend that he had only dated in one other arc was fridged? And the cumulative effect of all of the fridging of all of Wolverine's love interests over his entire life made it so that he no longer was inspired to fight back against the Angel of Death? Oh, wow. No, that's fascinating. Who wrote it's that? A, Is that a Jason Aaron? Is it good? Oh, it's Guggenheim. No. Okay. It's not good. <laughs> but the fact that even Mark Guggenheim, who creates this woman specifically to be fridged, and it's not good, but the underlying message of that story is so many women that Wolverine loves dies mm. that like he has been broken at a fundamental level is an interesting read that in the hands of someone who was good at writing things uh, would be a great, great story. Yeah. Uh, we should rank this. There's not a lot to it. It's not. It's weird though. Romulus is weird. Yeah. But not uh, in like a fun way that I'm, I don't know. It's about. fun for me to think about Romulus. <laughs> like I'm down in the three hundreds here. Uh, oh, that seems high. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I keep dropping. Um, yeah, this now is I'm in, now I'm in the 400s. This is not better than that new warriors issue we talked about last week. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, it's probably this isn't better... better than that Nova Halloween issue. No, it's probably better than where is um X Men Noir? Yeah, I don't think it's oh, that's at 495. Yeah, I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, but I don't think it's better than the first Iceman miniseries at 487. No, I agree with you there. I don't think this is better than the Infinitives of Evil from X-Man. Yeah, okay. Uh, That's at 492. It's probably a little better than those those two issues where Beast joins the Avengers. Those are just kind of eh. I would say right under it, and here's why. Okay, because? Because the only thing that's delightful about these issues is the existence of Romulus and the greater impact to Wolverine's universe because Romulus is so dumb. Whereas <laughs> Toad wanting to get revenge on everybody because they didn't get beat up by Magneto, I think oh, is I delightful. That. Okay, that, yeah, all right. But we'll still put this uh, step ahead of Knights of Terror, which is pretty terrible. Knights of Terror is about comparable with this, <laughs> yeah. if I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so this is, yeah, Wolverine Origins Romulus, but not the worst Romulus stuff, honestly. There's, we'll get to it at some point. This might be the best Romulus story, actually. <laughs> uh, but we're not talking about that. Instead, we are going to talk about, uh, so we talked about Wolverine's, or we talked about Omega Red's rebirth. Yes. We talked about his death. Yes. We're going to talk about what's that third step after death. Uh, which is when your spirit gets broken into three different parts uh, of uh, built-to-order uh, assassins uh, who are given a tragic backstory of the person that they are hired to assassinate so that they will be more motivated to assassinate them. Zach, are you uh, talking about White Sky? I am talking about the White Sky program. I am talking about uh, the Omega Clan. Uh, you know, Omega Red, Omega Black, and Omega White. Yes. Yes, because why not have three Omega Reds? <laughs> uh, we're we're talking about Uncanny X Force, the final execution. Uh, it's Uncanny X Force twenty five to thirty five, written by Rick Remender, with pencils by Mike McCone, Phil Noto, Julian Tatino Tedesco, uh, David Williams, 
more Phil Noto and even more Phil Noto. It's mostly Phil Noto with some beautiful, like the Tedesco stuffs. That's gorgeous. It is. It is kind of wild. I think we were talking about this before we went on the air, uh, seeing Phil Noto do something that's a little bloodier. Phil Noto, it is. I also think like Dean White is doing the bulk of the colors on this. Uh, Justin Ponzer uh, does some fill-ins. Frank Martin Jr. I think does the last couple of things that uh, Noto was doing. But it's weird. I think the weirder thing is seeing Noto color himself or not color himself. Because he has a very like defined palette that he uses nowadays and very defined tones. Mm. Um, I also, I like Noto here. He's not spectacular. I like the Noto of today, who's very, very good at expressive characters and does some really interesting things. I think my favorite is the Noto of just a few years back, like he did a he did a Black Widow run that, from a story's perspective, is eh. But honestly, my favorite Phil Noto art uh, is in that. Beautiful art. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, I think he uses he uses some thinner, he doesn't use as heavy inks as he does in his current stuff where he'll use like real thick line work that I like, I like the, I like the sketchier, thinner, almost like color over pencils kind of line work that he was doing at that time. But I digress. Noto's still great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the larger picture because there's a lot of little things that happen as the story goes by but yes there is a new brotherhood of evil mutants uh that dakin has formed with weapon three the skinless man skinless uh, man sucks by the way i do not care for the skinless man hate it he's this dude in, in judge's robes and, and a judge's wig he's yeah. got he's a barrister he's he's wearing too many hats <laughs> he really is yeah because He's a he's a Weapon X graduate. He has beef with Phantom X because he's a weapon. Well, not Weapon X. He's Weapon Three, but mm-hmm. he's from the weapons program. He has a whole deal against Phantom X, and then he's wearing these weird barrister robes, even though he's from regular times. Like he's not from the past, and it's no, weird that he dresses like it. But I believe they do still wear barrister outfits in Britain. Well, listen. And apologies, weird. apologies to all of our English uh, <laughs> listeners, but you guys did a lot of colonism for or colonialism for a while, so maybe you guys can take the L on this. Uh, yeah. You should those those robes are dumb and look dumb, and the weird fluffy hair. We fought a whole war so that I wouldn't have to uh, acknowledge your dumb your dumb hair, and instead our presidents wore it from a bit till they decided that's dumb and we shouldn't have to do it. Oh man! Uh, uh, who else is also, here? Also, the Shadow Go King ahead. is here. Shadow King continues to be here. I still don't quite understand how Shadow King came back in Uncanny X-Force. I've never really been able to parse that, but Okay, he- okay, 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 okay. I actually this actually makes a like it's very consistent from a continuity standpoint. Is it because he was imprisoned in Psylocke's brain? Yes, because back in 1997 or 1998 in the Psych War. Right. Uh, arc of it's either kelly or schuster i forget which one i think it's it's kelly who does joe kelly who does that one i believe uh psylocke locked him in her brain and that cut off the use of her telepathic powers for a very long time right yep uh, because she was using the focus totality uh to hold him in there and he stays in there until her mind kind of breaks uh earlier in this run when Warren uh, helps break him out of, or when she sees Warren 
uh, turn evil, essentially. And her mind breaks and Shadow King gets out because of that. Yeah, it's just weird because like he is not just Shadow King. He is like in Amal Farouk's body again. Yes, which is, but- that's the weird part. Yes, but that's because Shadow King doesn't make any sense. No, no. Anyway, he's here. The uh, Omega Clan, the the Omega, you know, clones are here. Uh, Mystique Bl- and Sabretooth. Yep, and Blob from Age of Apocalypse. And we have an interesting roster on Uncanny X-Force as well, because Phantom X is killed off early in this. And he, um, he has already left the team uh, in the first issue of this. Right. Deathlock. Psylocke, Psylocke leaves the team. Deathlock. Mm-hmm. Deathlock shows up when they go to the future for a hot minute on this. <laughs> right. Uh, and Eva uh, transforms into a woman uh, yeah, or a she, female she looking character. She gets a sexy character. robot body. Not like the Phantom X Max version. This is like, like a different sexy character. robot body. Sure. Deadpool. Deadpool. And did I miss anybody? Yeah, you missed AOA Nightcrawler who's here. Oh, right. Yeah, who's out for revenge against the Blob. And uh, the Brotherhood has a simple goal here. They would like Evan Nasibur to, um, you know, become the new apocalypse and reign in a, a new era of death and destruction. Okay, you say that, but, and I think that, I do think this is the smartest thing that this entire arc does. Uh, because, so, to take it all back, I guess, before I get to that, Uncanny X-Force is really about those first three issues where the team sees a resurrected apocalypse as a child and has to decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And the child ends up dead because Phantom X makes a tough decision. And every arc, every story of this book spins out of that. Right. And this is this is the culmination of all that it's okay was phantom x right is evan sabinor good it's what is the cost of that killing what what happens there because what happens to everyone is that causes warren to die that causes betsy to spiral that causes phantom x to be killed uh it causes so much pain and terror for everybody like it's saying it, it, it is about the cost of violence, and it is about that while reveling in that violence. Like, let's let's be clear. Uncanny X-Force is smart in a lot of ways, and it's probably the best thing Rick Remender has written. It is also, like, okay being a grindhouse book if it wants. Like, there is a part where a shark gets teleported into a dude yeah. and eats him from the inside <laughs> out, which is... Pretty gruesome. It's wildly gruesome. Yeah. There, there's there's stuff in here that I don't like. Like there's a heck of a lot of fat phobia in this. That is yes. once you notice it, it's hard to see how that is a punchline constantly in this book, which I don't super love. But well, to your to your point, um, Remender is beating this theme to death. Oh, um, he is not being subtle, he no matter it, what anyone thinks. He has it by the neck, and he's going to remind you, damn it, about what this theme is like over and over in every single issue. To the point where there's a whole, you know, mini sode that you mentioned uh, about them going to the future, and the future is run by a fascist Psylocke who they basically do a minority report and are, yeah. you know, killing people before they can commit crimes. It's a little much, you know, it's very on the nose. I feel like without the future, I feel like the future two issues 
do push it over the edge of, okay, come on. We, yeah. We understand at this point, like, we as the reader do not need to understand that you shouldn't murder children for things they have yet to do. Right. Right. We uh, get that. <laughs> um, what, what I think is interesting is, uh, you know, the villains trying to get Evan, Evan to, you know, accept his role as Apocalypse. And I think the underlying conflict of, I don't think Dakin is written particularly well here, but he's um, written very evil, which is just, just as a in, character. He's not that in, interesting. In Remender's credit, that's just how Dakin was written until, right. let's see, when, when uh, last year. Right. <laughs> when he became enjoyable. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I will be nice. Tom Taylor did a lot of stuff that a lot of people liked about Dakin. And there's some, there's some decent things sure. that got him onto that path. You, Regardless. Moving in the right. What direction. I do love about that is while like the dark angel saga is about angels, ascension to apocalypse. And this is about, you know, these villains want Evan to be apocalypse, but really, Really, they don't. They just want to screw with Wolverine, which is beautiful, even to the point that actually this whole thing is not orchestrated by Dakin. It's orchestrated by Sabretooth, who wanted to mess with Wolverine so bad that he would murder his have to murder his own son in a shallow pool of water. Yeah. Uh, just to be like, I got you. Yeah. Like, this entire <laughs> thing. It's 10 issues for Sabretooth to be like, hey, hey, Logan. <laughs> Gotcha again. Ain't I a stinker? I punked you. <laughs> that is that level of intricate planning in revenge and like psychological torture from Sabretooth makes for a very good Sabretooth plot. And and I'll give him I'll give him credit. Like the scene where Wolverine has to kill Dakin is well written and well drawn and is emotionally resonant. Like it's Wolverine looking at his life and saying if I did something differently, what would this have been? Which, granted, is the same trick he plays when Psylocke has to kill Angel in the Dark Angel saga, but it's a good trick. Yeah, yeah. The arc is not bad by any means. I do think it's way too long. Um, it does not need this many issues to, you know, go into the alternate future and and drag out this uh, this ongoing I, I tempting, if you will, of, of what Evan is supposed to be and, and all of that. Um, they probably this, could have sped up the like the first two issues are all about that. Uh, the creation of the new Omega gang. Right. Well, that and that the conflict between Phantom X and Psylocke, which their relationship is not as interesting when it's an actual thing versus flirtation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Future Wolverine and Psylocke make out. It's supposed to be a, Whatever. it's a splash page. It's like, who cares? You know what I mean? We don't like these versions of the characters. Betsy makes decisions sometimes. It's fine. Yeah. But every issue that I think we're actually like getting to the big culmination of this story, it's not over. There's another issue where we're going to keep going and going and going. And it just doesn't, does not need to be this long. And I don't know, I don't know how much of this was stretched, at, like, if they had a point where they had to stretch it out because of publishing at the time, because they knew that uh, this is during AVX, essentially, so they knew that the Marvel Now relaunch was going to happen, all the books were going to shake up, so if mm. they were saying, hey, uh, Rick, can you, you know, what month can this go to, how about this goes here, and then, yeah, you know, that, That's possible. that can be your ending. I, I mean, we, we do get the 
what I do think is, you know, satisfying in terms of an ending is like you said, the, the, the scene with Wolverine killing Dakin, um, but also Evan, uh, you know, this has been sort of germinating throughout the book uh, as it goes on. And we do see him take up the old apocalypse armor and yet he, he does not become apocalypse. And so the point is proven through his actions that, uh, you know, the experiment of cloning him, and raising him in, in the world worked, you know? Do you like the idea that they raise him in the world, but they just raise him to live Superman's life? <laughs> I think it's funny. I don't know. I, I It's it's always... Uh, I do wish that Evan got more to do. You know what I mean? Because like, he does nothing. He doesn't right. do anything in here. He mostly feels sad for himself because he doesn't want to murder a lot of people. Which, fair, Evan, I also don't. Yeah. Yeah. The concept of Evan, I think, is more interesting a lot of times than than what he's allowed to do as a character. Yes. Yes. You know, especially because by the time you get to Wolverine and the X-Men volume two, it, we're right back here. We're right back to is he going to do it? And we already know, you know, like that shouldn't that was already answered. At, when you get to access, the question is, oh, no, now he has done it. Now he is evil. Right. It's it's I don't know. It feels redundant. It doesn't feel necessary. Um, but I, I do enjoy this story. I don't think it's up to the heights of uh, some of the other things that happen. Um, this is in the book. probably my third favorite story from Uncanny X-Force. And there's only five or there's only five real arcs. Mm hmm. I'm not I'm not counting that one story where uh, Magneto has Wolverine kill the Nazi because that that one's probably the second best story or the one where the single issue where the single issues are actually the best part because you got that. And then you got the one where Iceman from AOA gets murdered by Kurt. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That one's good, too. Actually, yep. is that a Phil Noto one? Yeah, that's <laughs> Phil Noto one. That's good. Actually, if you want if you want a good yep. one, that's that one's that one rules, actually. Uh this is a good story, though. Like, I really do like this. I reread Uncanny X-Force uh, at the start of the pandemic. And while I have my qualms with it, and I think there are parts that are bad, mm -hmm. uh, Uncanny X-Force still more or less holds up. It holds up way better than Uncanny Avengers. I'll tell you that. Oh, sure. Um, unless we're talking about Uncanny Avengers Volume 3, which I really enjoy quite a bit. But we have Uncanny Avengers Avenge the Earth. <laughs> At 57 on this list. It's really good. That arc is really good. Sometimes when Remender's firing on cylinders, I love his stuff. But sometimes he gets bogged down by some of the, the things he likes to play on, like the alternate futures, alternate uh, reality characters. And I think a lot of that drags the story down um, along with the, with the length of it. So why don't we take a look at the list and see where we would put this? I think I know exactly where I would put it, but I want to hear your thoughts. Oh, okay. Um, geez. I'm curious where we have other uncanny. Where I mean, Dark Angel we Saga only, is. We only have the one. We have Dark oh, Angel Saga, which is at 15. See, that's tricky because obviously that is like, you know. Dark Angel Saga is better. Also, not the best part of Uncanny uh, X-Force. That's that first arc. Yeah, the first arc alert. is... That first arc holds up something fierce. Yeah, it's really good. Um, 
It is also wild that by the time you get to the later issues, they start calling this arc a saga. Did you notice that? <laughs> I didn't. Does yeah. Nick Lowe edit this? Because that feels like a Nick Lowe thing. I don't know. It starts popping up on the covers. It's the final execution saga. And you're like, is, is it? <laughs> it wasn't a saga earlier. Right. Um, so, no, I don't think this is as good as the alternate reality uh, Uncanny X, uh, excuse me, Uncanny Avengers arc. Um I do think this is better than like Axis, of course. Um, what so... a... Yes. <laughs> okay. Here's here's what a wild I think. what a wild spread. <laughs> do you think do you think this is better than uh, than Avenge the Earth? No, you don't think this. Is... Okay. No, I wouldn't put this nearly that high. I mean, I'm, I'm I would. And put it around there. I think it's about on the same level. Okay, this probably isn't better than number. This probably isn't better than number seventy-seven. The world or uh, welcome to Genosha. No, yeah, but uh, I I think this is better than the Asgard Shi'ar War at eighty-five. Um, yeah, I guess I can get behind that. I I just there's something about this that that I still I remember from my first read through of this book, and I was just like, this is interminable. Um. But I think we're in the right area. I think this is probably a, it's definitely in the top like 150. I think it's in the top 100 because I think this is better than Assault on Grey Mountain, which again, Assault on Grey Mountain is challenged because that's 19 through 24 and 19 is really good in 20 through 24 are fine. Well, I guess. I don't know. I feel like we're more on par. This is better than Messiah War at 104. It is better than Messiah War. I, yeah. I will not hear anything else. Yeah, I think it's all right. It's, it's definitely better than Empire. It's better than Empire X Men at one hundred and one. Um, all right, I'm working my way up. Is this better than the Shiva scenario, though? Yes, I would say yes. I I would say yes because the Shiva scenario it's a Larry Hama comic, so it's uneven. Okay, it's good uneven. It's more good than bad. And I'm not saying that this isn't uneven, but I don't think this is better than the ABX Sinister arc of Uncanny X-Men Volume Two. Okay, I would say this is better than Planet X from New New X-Men, the end of New X-Men, which is similarly a ending that tries to say something and mostly succeeds, but has some pretty obvious failures in it as well. Yeah, I agree. But I think I think this is a better ending than Planet X. I I because okay. I. I generally end on this and like I leave the book with good feelings. Like I think it has, I think it has a good ending. You get the resolution of a lot of the plots that you're looking for. Like it does make this entire run a very nice, neat package. As long as you're coming in with the understanding of years and years of X-Men continuity, including a uh, strong working knowledge of the age of apocalypse. (laughs) Right. So is this better or worse than X factor 87 examinations at number 80? I would say so, but a lot of people would not. No, I know. Um, but I think that book has its own flaws despite its its strength. So I why don't we slot it right above that? Number Our new 80. number 80 is the final execution. No songs in this one. It's just a regular execution. <laughs> oh, man, that was a lot of Omega Red and then a little less Omega Red. <laughs> It was a lot of stories that Omega Red is in, but the very nature of stories that Omega Red is in means that you don't really talk about Omega Red because he does a fight. Yeah, that's it. He's he's going to tentacle out. Anyway, that was fun. 
That was fun, and I'd like to thank Patreon supporter Bill is reading for uh, requesting that episode because we had a we had a good time doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, what have you got going on? Not much. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, anything you want to hype up from Comics XF? Yes, go read go read our editorial that uh, Dan the Man Grote just put out on our newsletter, mm. uh, which is now the editorials uh, that are in the newsletter go live on the site on Sundays. If you mm-hmm. uh, want to wait, but you shouldn't because the newsletter is great. Uh, Dan has a really good uh, piece about the supply chain challenges that are facing comics uh, with a lot of feedback from people at all levels of comics, from folks who are doing individual Kickstarters to some of the larger publishers who are out there. So there's a lot of good insight on how that's impacting folks. I'll tell you, my personal life is <laughs> heavily impacted by some of the supply chain uh, oh, yeah. disturbances that we have been facing as someone whose job is selling a thing. Mm. I think it's going to be affecting a lot of people. Uh, if yep. it isn't already. So yep. yeah, definitely check that out. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, you got to. And uh, Zach, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're talking about King Hyperion, who technically isn't an X-Men character, but is in X-Men stories. And I got really excited because (laughs) uh, Adam hasn't read any of the King Hyperion stuff. And I don't know how well it's going to hold up, but I do think the ending of the King Hyperion stuff freaking rips. (laughs) I'm excited to read it. You shouldn't be because it's going to be a lot of Chuck Austin comics and then a different (laughs) one. Until then, this is Battle of the Autumn. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!